Hello and welcome to the Health Excel podcast with me, Chandana. I'm Martin. So with us today, we have Kuldeep Singh. And Kuldeep is the CEO of Bioformis, an up-and-coming company that a lot of you have probably heard of. And I'm sure we'll kind of start talking to him shortly about what Bioformis do. But it's a pleasure to have you here, Kuldeep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. And you've rooted from... Boston yep. uh, via London, right? Boston to London, uh, had a couple of meetings in London and then just got an hour ago. Okay, so, just got in. Yeah. Okay, and you're going to talk tomorrow at our event? Yep, uh, tomorrow uh, talking at the uh, clinical trial optimization. Brilliant. Great. Okay, Kuldeep. So we'd love to hear a bit about your journey so far, right? Like what brought you to becoming CEO of Bioformis? And I'm sure this was kind of a pet project that started at university from my, con uh, that's what I know from my conversations with you. So tell us a bit about how this happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so taking a step back, a bit of a background, uh, you know, born and raised in India, did my electrical engineering at IIT Madras, then went to MIT. I was a researcher in Media Lab in Boston. And, uh, you know, during my time at Media Lab, there was this whole new transformation happening in the healthcare industry, where all these bulky sensors, what you put on patients' body costed, you know, thousands of dollars are yeah. now costing tens of dollars and soon getting commoditized. Yeah. Uh, huge amount of data but very little value to the patients and the provider okay. um, and uh, you know uh, when I spent my time at MIT I was working on various digital health projects one specifically was uh, sleep apnea detection algorithms arrhythmia okay. detection algorithms um, and then you know uh, uh, I moved to Singapore in fact to do my PhD so I know. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take you back into first gear or second gear just to so t tell us about the, you know, going that initial jump to MIT from going from India to Boston into the, you know, the, one of the epicenters of, you know, research. And yeah, that's about that transformation, you know, the yeah. change. So, so when I was uh, back at MIT, uh, sorry, uh, IIT, there was this, you know, projects which I used to work on um, all the way since, you know, second year, third year, uh, which was specifically related to healthcare. Okay. Uh, I've been into uh, uh, healthcare since very long. That was just my passion. Uh, on, Where does on, that come from? Is it, was it your parents? Or? Or? Not really. I mean, you know, I have seen many uh, people, uh, you know, friends, families, um, who have, uh, you know, we have, who have lost their lives uh, because of chronic conditions mm -hmm. and many other diseases. Right. And I was always driven on how do you take uh, technology and, and my technology background and bridge that gap and uh, really help people. You know, mm -hmm. that was just a very broad mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, mission. And, and, you know, I've been working on various things all the way from, you know, brain controlled uh, interfaces for patients with Parkinson's and epileptic seizures. Yeah. Um, and then during my time at IIT, there was this uh, partnership between, uh, you know, MIT, IIT, where, uh, you know, um, multiple co-funded projects between two universities. And I was part of that. And once I graduated, I got an opportunity to move to MIT. Okay. Um, and that's what, uh, you know, brought you there. Yeah. But this is really interesting because people who uh, are interested in healthcare will most likely pick okay, I'm going to be a physician, I'm going to be a nurse, yeah. mm. um, or I guess an entrepreneur right off the bat. But it's really interesting that you as an engineer 
thought about, okay, how do I apply this? Mm-hmm. And what, what was it like electrical engineering? Yeah, so I did my undergrad in electrical engineering. Yeah. Um, so technically, I would say what I studied was more biomedical engineering, right? Yeah. How do you combine uh, clinical plus uh, uh, engineering and technology? And without that, like medicine won't exist, right? Mm. Because all the physics, optics, chemistry, without all of these sciences, medicine can't be practiced. Yes, no, absolutely. And today you see everything from your machines to diagnose, um, screen patients, all the way to new novel technologies where you use artificial intelligence, um, everything from... Uh, um, you know, let's say radiology is many companies, uh, you know, doing image analysis, all that revolves around technology. And and how do you combine both of that is really the question. And how did you find moving to Boston or Cambridge to be more specific? Yeah, yeah no, it was it was uh, uh, a whole different world. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> a lot <know>, colder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a different exposure altogether. Yeah. And I would say uh, uh, so far all the success, uh, what Bioformis had, has had was based on all the relationships mm-hmm. and network which I built and, uh, um, you know, for example, early clinical advisors and yeah. um, you know uh, uh, people who joined the team um, as part of the early phases but uh, you know it was a great field the whole mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's a different world where you talk to people in any event for example it's always ideas new things yeah, um, yeah. Um, as compared to where you know it's a very slow so, kind yeah, of a yeah. environment. that's how we that's how we know you to to Malik Mahmoud yeah, right? yeah so, exactly so yeah. Malik you know uh, was was my advisor uh, when even in fact before MIT because when um, we were doing projects together right. at IIT he was one of the mentors was he? Yeah. Okay. and I have known him now since you know over seven eight years yeah yeah and he he would introduce us I think it's probably five years ago or something yep. along those lines there's this great entrepreneur in Singapore he said to me it's like <laughs> okay okay I'm not sure I can connect all the dots so, so obviously you went from MIT to Singapore yep so, yep Back, back to Asia, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Singapore is great. Um, you know, um, the ecosystem in Singapore is very, I would say, open, dynamic mm. for young entrepreneurs. Mm. Of course, went there to do my PhD, did that for a couple of years. You know, I used to build brain implants for neuromodulation for Parkinson's disease. So right, I spent right. two years doing animal experiments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, killed three, four hundred rats and, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but sometime, you know, in 2015, after two years, I took a bold decision. Uh, to, to ditch quit, it? Yeah, quit my <laughs> PhD. You know, it was, it was a hard decision, but... Mm. Um, you know, finally I had to take it and um, it's, I don't regret. What made you, what made you, what, what, what made that yeah, decision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think it was multiple things, right? When we started the company, you know, initially I took a leave of absence, right? And uh, uh, once you take leave of absence for six months, I wanted to test it out and try it out. And maybe I thought, you know, after six months, I'll make a decision. Do I go back or do I take a different mm-hmm. path. And in the first six months, you know, we raised a uh, million dollars for the company uh, uh, without okay. even a ready product. And, uh, you know, uh, people believed in what we were doing and what we were set up to uh, uh, build. And, uh, you know, things were getting serious. And after six months, you know, I um, um, uh, had to make a decision that yeah. I had to uh, commit full time because, you know, it doesn't work. You're doing two things at the same time yeah. uh, because it requires, you know, 100% dedication. 
and in retrospect do you regret it or it it seems to me like it was the perfect move because you needed to then channel all of your time and your energies on building a team that probably had all of those capabilities you were looking to learn from your phd yeah absolutely no i th- i think it's a combination of things right for for uh, a bioformist in the initial early days it was two things which were very important for us because we started out as a uh, um, a healthcare analytics company right mm-hmm. uh, you know being able to process these streams of physiology data which you capture from patients active and passively uh, and be able to process that uh, um, and make it understandable and actionable mm-hmm. and that was the mission of the company at that time and uh, you know there were few things which were very critical one is a clinical knowledge because we right. need clinicians on board really to work very closely with the second piece which is the data science mm-hmm. um, and these were for me were the most important things of course i had data science background but we had initial two to three hires uh, who were pretty strong and from a clinician perspective you know malik was a part of the company mm. um, and we had a couple of more clinicians uh, whom he had bought in so it was a perfect combination to begin the company where you had clinical as well as data and science medical. and then we had proper validation uh, in clinical trials to test it out but you know <laughs> uh, we have trans- transitioned uh, from just being an analytics company to uh, a digital therapeutics company where you know you use software and analytics to treat and manage disease mm-hmm. but kuldeep you could have done loads of different things right yeah bioformist could have been an imaging analytics company it could have been right. anything else in the world so what about the unmet need that you were addressing at the time really appealed to you yeah so i think it was uh, uh, multiple things first thing uh, you know if you look at uh, our therapeutic area pipeline let's just say, say our lead product heart failure mm-hmm. uh, one in four patients get back into the hospital within 30 days 108 billion dollar wasted worldwide right. uh, for penalization and recently uh, this year there is a big news of Uh, less than 1% of patients are on optimal dosage and that results less than 1% <laughs> well that's the, the titration know, is so uh, hard uh, you know in in the US that's uh, shocking the number less yeah. than 1% receive optimal dosage and less than 20% are on guideline directed therapy hmm. the guidelines exist since 2030 30 years but it's not being implemented nobody is uh, you know oh just 20% of patients and uh, uh, the the main reason for this is clinicians don't have right actionable information to manage and titrate these patients outside hospitals right once they leave the hospital yeah. they are gone yeah. and m- many studies have shown uh, you know your traditional weight scales and blood pressures mm. and 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 typical way of remote monitoring which have failed significantly because of adherence levels and clinicians exactly don't know how to use that information so the main clinical unmet need what we were trying to solve is really two things first is how do you intervene earlier so mm-hmm. that you can keep patients out of hospital mm-hmm. but to do that you first need to detect or predict decompensation and second is remotely provide clinicians actionable information to intervene or titrate because flooding them with information is just going to of overwhelm course. them uh, so building that treatment algorithm was going to be critical so we use this same approach of being able to detect predict and 
intervene across our therapeutic areas. But who put this problem in front of you when you were in MIT, right? Like how did it come to your mm. attention? Yeah, so so this was not uh, uh, just at MIT. This was, you know, a whole evolution which happened in the journey of Bioformis. Okay. As I was saying, we started the company as a data science company or uh, analytics company where we were building uh, algorithms to do arrhythmia detection. Right. Because, you know, uh, all the algorithms for arrhythmia detection were built for in-hospital setting, nothing ambulatory. Uh, it's, it's contaminated by a lot of noise, artifacts, um, and, uh, you know, by far today, we have the FDA clearance now for detecting over 15 different kinds of cardiac arrhythmias beat by beat uh, with, in fact, the highest level of accuracy in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's how we started building, you know, different modules and different um, algorithms. But while we were doing our clinical trials and clinical studies, um, the data spoke to us. Because the, using the data, uh, let's say for patients with heart failure, when we were running a study to predict exacerbation in heart failure, we detected that patients, the biggest reason why patients are decompensating is they're not on the right optimal therapy, mm-hmm. even if guidelines exist. And that's how, uh, you know, the clinical trials and the early traction, what we had in terms of real world implementation drove the entire value proposition um, and the unmet need what we were trying to solve. It's clear from our conversations with like loads of people in the industry that they're really struggling with running trials, right? Especially for any digital health solution, digital therapeutic, call it what you will. So... How did you crack that nut? How did you know, okay, this is how we're going to approach a trial. This is the right way to do it. And this is the kind of result that we want to show the world and it'll actually have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think, you know, many, many people uh, try to approach clinical trials from the way of, you know, uh, this is what we want to submit and get the indication for use. Let's yeah. work from there. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, you know, that's how people do it yeah, today. Yeah. Uh, but I think the approach which we took was very different because uh, we took an approach of saying, uh, what's our end commercial goal, mm-hmm. right? Um, and whom are we going to sell this to? Yeah. Uh, is it is it the payers? Is the pharma? Uh, who's the actual customer who's going to pay us? Um, and and what would they like to see? And who is your customer? Um, so every clinical trial we run, we keep payer as our customer. That's great because like, yeah. I think this is the challenge of the industry, right? Like the, the buck stops with the payer, yeah. especially in the United States and <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So, so tell us about what you're hearing from payers, right? What do they want to see? Absolutely. So uh, again, taking uh, heart failure as an example, right? Because that's a lead product. So payers want to see, you know, outcomes. The only thing you sell to them is outcomes. You don't sell a product. You know, you yep. you essentially uh, uh, show them what's the actual dollar saving yep. uh, and the impact you can drive on the patient. That's what they want to see. Yeah. But uh, to get there, it's not just the payers. Of course, there is intermittent customer, which is the pharma can mm-hmm. be. Um, and, and of course, for them, it is all about the clinical benefits. Yeah. Um, and uh, there is regulatory agencies um, like the FDA, where you need to get their buy-in on the clinical trial. So whenever we design a clinical trial, we keep all these three into mind. Okay. Um, and, 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 you know, we have a super strong team of clinicians, biostats, 
who work with us. Uh, in fact, let's say heart failure, we have some of the industry's leaders in heart failure who sit on our advisory yeah, okay. board, um, you know, who help us design these protocols. And then that goes and, and through the FDA. Um, and, and, you know, we have great relationships and, uh, um, you know, we get feedback from the FDA, work with them closely way early enough before we spend even a single cent on okay. the trial. And is um, that like the lesson then to many entrepreneurs? How do you go about building a relationship with the FDA? Yeah, so I think I think uh, building a relationship is all about engaging them, right? Uh, you know, there are various ways you can engage the FDA all the way from, let's say you have an idea you want, you have some, uh, you, you don't even know what to do. Yeah. FDA now has a path where you can set up that early meeting just to tell FDA what novel this idea is what we're up to. building. Yeah. Yeah. And FDA allows for that today. Yeah. And then you have, if you're, uh, you know, matured enough and you have a product, that's a different path. You submit a typical pre-cert, pre-submission, and you have that meeting with the FDA, ask them your questions, they clarify, uh, and then eventually you do that and then submit it. So right? you've... So you've identified them as a body that's giving you some guidance yeah. and kind of helping you out. That's great because that's a really refreshing perspective, right? Because yeah. normally regulators are seen as as a wall, like it's, it's a yeah. hard thing to get through. Yeah. So in your experience, you've actually built really strong relationships with the FDA yeah. and they've actually helped you. Exactly. And, and, and I think one of the things which I would say no digital health entrepreneur should do is you build a product and you go to FDA and say, here's my submission. Right. Okay. That will never work. Yeah. Uh, FDA will always come back with questions and that will, you know, uh, uh, result into a big feedback after 90 days of review. And you'll potentially e either miss it uh, to respond or you'll get rejected. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's very clear. And FDA encourages every company to have those early meetings with them mm -hmm. to get them through the journey. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's through our CDRH, which is the device division. Uh, but um, uh, we also, and I'll speak about this tomorrow uh, during my talk, uh, but we also now have a, a relationship and partnership with um, FDA's CEDAR, which is the drug division. Okay. Because, uh, you know, as you know, clinical trials take seven, eight years to get uh, done yeah. and, and, and drugs uh, get very late to the market. Uh, and, and the primary reason clinically for that is people look at hospitalization and mortality as endpoints. And that Sample obviously size, takes uh, really uh, long. increases. That takes long time. Uh, so FDA, just starting with heart failure, uh, released a guidance document in July, which clearly says that you don't need to show function, uh, uh, you know, hospitalization mortality. You can back on patient-centric outcomes like quality of life and functional yeah. capacity. Oh, That's great. Yeah. And because you now you, you can use digital technologies to capture these and quantify these, yes. the clinical trials can even be done in like two years. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's what that's we really need, right? Yeah. 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 There's a couple of different things there that struck me. I mean, firstly, this idea of working in partnership. Yeah. You know, not just going, here's the yeah. answer. And you said that with the regulator, but you also said that in terms of the physicians. So right from the start, you had the physicians on board and you were co-creating stuff. It seems to me that that's a key part of success, yeah. that it's not like giving somebody the product at the end. It's like, 
using and working with them to develop it out. Yeah, no, ex- uh, um, and and I think there have been multiple, uh, uh, you know, uh, reasons or multiple successes here. One is, of course, our strong, uh, uh, you know, interactions with the FDA, but also with the customers, and uh, you know, uh, what we have been able to establish in a very short time, which is you know three four years. Uh, we work with or you know uh, six now global pharma. Uh, or seven large health systems in the U.S. Right. And those early partnerships, uh, um, you know, really helped us, uh, um, you know, validate the platform, yeah. uh, both clinically, commercially, um, and, and, and get us incredible amount of data because that's the whole value proposition. What we are building is a, a humongous amount of data because every patient who gets on our platform gives us three kinds of data. One is your, uh, um, you know, activation data which is all your baseline demographics, baseline uh, medication history, labs, etc. Then you have our treatment cycle, which is typically 90 days, um, where we collect real-time continuous physiology, uh, uh, you know, passively active data, engagement, medication, etc. And then you have, uh, you know, offboarding, which is the outcomes data. Uh, which includes, you know, your healthcare utilization yeah. cost, labs, etc., and and that all feeds into our data lake, and that continuously keeps enhancing our products. Right. Uh, but you know, today, let's just say arrhythmias, patients with arrhythmias, we have the world's largest uh, data set of around four million patients, wow. and all captured in an ambulatory setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, that's the the value proposition we are building, um, and that continuously, you know, keeps enhancing all our digital products. So, what have you learned through your partnerships with these different types of companies, right? So, providers, the incentives for them are completely different, mm-hmm. and pharma, it's totally different, right? What has your learning been? And the reason I ask this is because this is something a lot of entrepreneurs are currently, maybe some are struggling, some are dabbling with it. So it'll be really interesting to see what you've learned. How are these partnerships alike or dissimilar? Yeah, so I think, I think uh, first of all, uh, everyone needs to take a step back and say, you know, who is their customer, right? Right. Uh, you know, um, let's just say, um, um, and, and I'm not talking about bioformis, let's say a general if we are building a companion therapeutics with a specific drug, let's yes. just say that your customer is clearly pharma, pharma. right? And uh, you know uh, what incentivizes them, uh, and 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 what they look for is really a very strong partner who has domain experience, who has done this before, who has strong relationships with the FDA or regulatory agencies, and can do this right in actual clinical studies. Because you have to go all the way from phase two all the way until approvals and reimbursements, and then you will eventually get commercialized. So I think in that journey, uh, partnerships with the pharma, but also with the provider is going to be critical. But of course, you can say, we use pharma as a distribution channel uh, to sell it to all the clinicians or yeah. health systems. Uh, it works sometimes, but sometimes you know there is a challenge where you heavily rely on a pharma company as a distribution uh, a partner, and they sell, they don't sell, you're stuck sometimes. Right, right. Um, you know that's that's one business model, right? The other way of looking at it is you say. Pharma is my short-term play 
you know, I'm going to work with them, uh, uh, incentivize and, and, and solve the problems they are facing midterm, gather all the data in terms of demonstrating clinical evidence and health economic benefits and use that to sell to the payers. That's a different right. strategy. Right. Um, and in that case, you know, you need to have, uh, you know, uh, a pharma payer as well as the provider on board, because even if it is through the payer, you still need relationships because uh, you can't just go and do a partnership. One of the biggest lessons we have learned is either pharma, either payers, you go and sign a partnership with them means nothing. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, because it is after all, how does that get distributed and delivered to the patient? Yeah. Um, and if you are not helping clinicians integrate in their existing clinical workflow, make it simple, have all the backend support required, that will fail. Uh, and, and that has been one of the biggest learnings for us. And, you know, we have spent the past 18 months uh, not just signing partnerships B2B, but making sure it is at the clinician because now, you know, seven, eight health systems, yeah. for example, at Brigham, at Mass General, we are integrated into the clinical workflows. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, even if then we go through the payers, uh, we will still be fine. Uh, yeah. because we have solved that main important problem. Yeah, I think it's quite insightful that you have to get all these stakeholders lined yeah. up yeah. and you have to understand what each one and yeah. how they distribute and how the... Uh, yeah, so... Because because your peers are not going to go and actually implement this. Right. Of course. Um, they and, just want to see the results. Exactly. And and also with the pharma, I mean, uh, they can do it. They can, Their sales reps can do it. But how much justice would they would do, they do to, uh, to a digital product right. where they are used to selling drugs? Yeah. Now they have, uh, uh, you know, a piece of software and how would they position the platform? Yeah. Uh, so I think... This takes time yeah. um, and as more and more companies come up and the industry starts yeah. moving in that direction, it will change. But, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time. In fact, we just hired uh, our chief commercial officer, uh, Peter Brown, and our chief strategy officer, um, John Varaklis, who were both at Roche. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, spend... John, John used to be a customer of ours. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, and you know they will be exclusively working on making sure you know they work with uh, the end customer, which is the patients yeah. and the hospitals, on how this will actually be clinically integrated. But keeping payers in mind because that's what is the key goal. Fascinating. And, yeah, and Kuldeep, sometimes do you like when you think about your life? You're like, you know, maybe I should have stayed in Singapore. I've gotten into this really complex <laughs> U.S. market and now I have to figure all this out. Yeah. So do you sometimes feel like, you know, maybe Singapore was simpler, but I guess it is a smaller scale. I mean, you would never be this big. Yeah, no, I think I think that's an interesting question. When I started the company, uh, you know, I started it in Singapore because I was there. Yeah. You know, um, no uh, other Bioformis was never intended to be, uh, um, you know, a Singapore focused company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from day one, US was our market focus. Right. And why? Uh, you know, it was multiple reasons. First, uh, you know, relationships, what we had built in terms of partners, customers, hospitals. You know, we also had a very clear 
um, you know, uh, unmet clinical need uh, based that you had on the data. There. Exactly. Okay. And you had proper reimbursements, and we know exactly where the pain point lies. Yeah. Whereas, let's say in Singapore, you have a national uh, insurance and coverages. Um, there, you need the whole national. Uh, um, you know, uh, insurance to reimburse and cover and that takes time. But however, you know, it has been a great journey in Singapore now. In fact, we just moved into our new office uh, yesterday. In, oh, in Singapore, Singapore. In Singapore. Okay. Um, you know, we have a 60 people team now in Singapore oh, and wow. we are, uh, will we'll potentially grow uh, over 100 by end of the year. So, you know, Singapore, Boston, we have an office in Boston. So totally now we are almost 85 plus. Um, and, uh, you know, Singapore has been a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, base for us to tackle the Asian market. Yeah. Uh, we will soon announce a big partnership with um, a large pharma company for the entire Asia, oh, um, you know, uh, in the heart failure space. And, um, you know, the Singapore office is going to be critical to operate, execute that. Um, and, and, you know, we have multiple partnerships in Asia. Uh, so we capitalize that. And one of the advantages what we have had um, is really the fact that we were in Singapore and we were able to collect huge amount of data with our relationships in that region mm -hmm. and then take the backing of the evidence and move to the U.S. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I think that's the one thing we hear from people like a market like the U.K. where you have NHS yeah. or a similar thing in Singapore. is a really good test bed mm -hmm. as well because you have to follow specific mm -hmm. protocol and you learn so much from that and then you took those lessons uh, and implemented it exactly well. how does it work day to day so the time zones are <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> we have a couple we have a number of customers in australia which is it's a struggle uh, like nine hours ahead at least you know yeah. it depends on the time of year sometimes 11 right what, what's singapore to boston uh, yeah no it's, it's 12 hours so <laughs> you know when when the, when the singapore sleeps yeah uh, the boston works so yeah. you know you're so you just don't sleep <laughs> <laughs> um and we'll soon have a uh, um, you know, Peter John are based in Switzerland, so right. we'll of course. So have you'll have that. someone yeah. in the uh, middle who will be able to yeah. talk to both exactly. sides. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. It, it must be challenging though to, to keep the. Do you end up going back and forth quite a lot? Yeah, or? I do. Uh, I spend most of my time in the US, but of course, you know. I spend some time every month still in Singapore, okay. and we have our software development team in India. Okay, um, you know, so it's a it's a we're, we're in India in Bangalore. In Bangalore, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, so okay. truly global company. Yeah, yeah, yep. fantastic. So we're co we could spend we could spend ages talking, but we're coming to the end of our time. So one of the things we like to ask all our guests are if they weren't doing what they were doing, they had a different life. Or a di what what would you be doing? Uh, that's a good question. You know, um, I my my parents come from education. Uh, you know, both uh, our principals and directors of no shit, university. Right, <laughs> 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 oh, that's so unusual. Um, and uh, you know, uh, um, I always wanted to uh, you know get my PhD and, yeah, yeah. and follow the typical yeah. uh, um, education and the research path. Right, right. But um, you know. I think uh, before my undergrad, I made up my mind that I was just of an opinion that uh, I, I just didn't want to work for anyone. And uh, I always <laughs> wanted to do uh, uh, something of my own. You know, if I would say 
Um, if I was not doing bioformis, maybe I would have finished my PhD, but still, You'd I be would doing still your own be thing. doing my yeah. own thing and I would have so started something. You'd be an something. entrepreneur, maybe in a different industry or yep. in yep. different area of education, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great answer. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Kuldeep, it's been a pleasure having you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thanks, Thanks for making the journey. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.